welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. So in this particular series, uh, we are going to be creating a new, um, a new way of life. <laughs> now that I'm now that I'm preaching it, I'm uh, I'm seeing all of these amazing adjectives and adverbs. We'll just start with the Bible, because if I take off, I might not land. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2. Some of you probably know this. This is probably the most famous Habakkuk verse. For those of you that didn't know, there is a book called Habakkuk. If you've been reading the Bible through this year with with all the cool kids, uh, eventually you'll get there. And in Habakkuk 2.2, this is probably a verse that uh, a lot of different ministers use and even um, some some leaders and uh, some managers uh, because this is one of those um, principles that that go beyond just the kingdom and I don't want to say just the kingdom but I, this is something that a lot of folks embrace in their life in general because it is very effective And I want you to make sure that you get this the way that I'm saying this. Because you can even take a verse like this and get all legalistic with it and think that you are um, doing godly things, but anything that you do through the letter of the law that does not have the Spirit in it is going to create death. The law kills. The letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. So if you take the letter of the law and you filter it through the spirit you bring life but if you take the law uh, this happens a lot of times in marriages this is why I'm so excited about the marriage covenant weekend because in marriage you know a lot of people like well my spouse is terrible so I'm going to give him some laws to live by you just killed your terrible spouse and then you want him to live and love and enjoy you and be intimate (laughs) It, it will never ever ever happen that's why God doesn't law us he tells us what the law is and then he gives us the spirit to be intimate with him and by default people that are overflowing with the spirit of God will keep the law I don't know if you ever thought about it if you keep what Jesus said love your God with all love God with all your heart soul mind and strength and love your neighbors yourself you know if you keep those two there isn't a single law in the entire Old Testament that you won't keep perfectly Amen. George Washington knew that too. One of his famous quotes um, has to has to do with if you were if we are going to try to be have great character as patriots, we need to add to that great character of patriot the even greater character of being a Christian. So basically, the paraphrase that I say when I go and minister this uh, all over the world is that George Washington understood the one commandment that has A and B that Jesus said. Love God, 
love your neighbor. George Washington understood that to mean loving God, character of Christian, loving your neighbor, patriot. How can you love your neighbor without loving your nation? And George Washington was way more than the founding father, way more than the first president of the United States. He was, I believe he was an actual prophet and that he was um, empowered by the grace of God to do what he did. There's absolutely no way that he could have done. I wish he would go and read some of the stories about the supernatural encounters that George Washington was a part of. There was times that bullets passed through his body and he had holes in his coat that there's no way they, that happened unless the bullets went through his body. God supernaturally protected George Washington because of what he was doing. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Write the vision down. Make it plain on tablets. And this is the part that I that very seldom people, when I hear them talk about this verse, that they don't enumerate it. They They... They focus on the first part of this is write it down. Okay, God doesn't want you to be a scribe for the rest of your life just writing every cool thing down. It's so that they that read it can run with it. The whole culmination of the successful Christian life is us having a walk with God. Almost all of the Old Testament drills down to this language. Man, if Dr. Benjamin was here, like this is his, this is his ministry. <laughs> it, it's, it's about your walk with God. We should be so intimately, so close walk with God that the walk to Emmaus in, in Luke chapter 22, 24, it, it, it perfectly illustrates what it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be walking so close with God that we end up at the table of communion and there is no, there's no hiding, there's no veil, there's no shading. We see Him as He is. The, the walk to Emmaus scenario in the Scriptures is literally like a little tiny miniature version of what the Christian life is supposed to be. We're supposed to start off with Him. We don't know who He is. He teaches us the Word, teaches us the Word. We get intimate. We walk with Him. We walk with Him. We match His pace. He doesn't outpace us or underpace us. And then when we finally get to that full-grown maturity of our life, we're sitting at the table, we're sharing the Lord's Supper together, and then all of the veils are removed and we see Him as He is. And then you see yourself as you are. So our walk with God is really what the whole Christian life is. A lot of people think it's like checklists. Okay, love. Got that. I had a love encounter with God in 1984. Done. All right, salvation. Well, that was right after that love thing. I said that prayer in youth camp that one time, so check. And then we go down these different boxes that we got to satisfy in order to get through the... It, it, we look at it like public education, like we graduate kindergarten and you go to first grade and you go to second grade. Did you learn to tie your shoes? Oh, you got to go back to first grade. It doesn't work that way. This is supposed to be an intimate relationship where every single thing, you have never had a full revelation of God's love. And you should have had a full revelation of God's love. You are... If you, if you have confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is your Lord, you're saved. 
and you're being saved, and one day you'll be saved. Amen. And and I know I lose a bunch of people there, but the moment that you actually put your faith and your trust in Jesus, you are supernaturally, miraculously, miraculously given the Spirit of God. And you are sealed by that Spirit forever. But your soul, some of you, it's like a tornado wreck. And you got emotions that are wheels off, and you don't know how to think right, you can't, you can't get your life sorted, and you go from total destruction to a little bit better into misery and pain, and, and your, and your emotions are, are uncontrollable, and you got all these things that are mucked up in your life, your soul should be being saved. That's Hebrews chapter 12, that you should be renewing your mind by the Word of God. And then one day, there is going to be this moment where our bodies, amen, no more fasting, no more working out, no more beating it into submission, no more weird noises when you're trying to go to bed. I'm talking about Kay, not me. I mean, I'm... (laughs) There's this moment one day that you get this body that I don't even know what it... Jesus could take His physical body and pass through walls. He didn't need to eat, but He could eat. He would be in one place and then He'd be in another place. I don't even... I don't have a grid for what kind of a body you're going to get. But one day you're going to get saved in your body. Being saved in your soul, been saved in your spirit. In your walk, it's the same thing. You should be going from faith to faith, going from the old kind of glory of the Old Testament to the new kind of glory that is in Christ Jesus, who is the glory of God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We are not. We need to be like Him. That's the walk. And the only way to do that walk is to know where you're going. If I said to someone who's a guest this morning, hey, uh, come meet me at the house for lunch after service. They'd say, great, that's awesome, wonderful, thanks. And then I go sit there and I wait. And they don't have directions. They don't have an address. They didn't ask someone else. You know, I'm evil. It's the same thing with God. If God says, hey, come walk with me, but He doesn't give you a vision, He doesn't give you a map, He doesn't give you GPS, He doesn't give you coordinates, then He's wrong for that. If He says, be like me, as He is, so are we in this world, 1 John four seventeen. but we don't know what that is, if we don't have a vision of that, then He is not... Being authentic with us in this relationship that we're supposed to have. The word right here is the word for inscribe. It doesn't just mean like take a note on a posting note. It means to inscribe, to mark down. This is also the same word for a signature. This is also the same word for drawing. Those of you that are artistic, you you draw things. That is also writing down. And the, the word here for vision, man, this is, and I could spend a ton of time here, but I won't. 
This, it means a mental sight. Something you see mentally. This is, it's, when people say like I've had an open vision or I've had a closed vision or I've had a, I had a vision in the night or I had a dream or, you know, God gave me a vision. You probably heard people talk like God gave me this vision. That's what it's talking about. There's something that God illuminated to the eyes of your heart. Not the eyes of your head. The eyes of your heart. It's something you see from the inside. In Proverbs 29, 18, it says that this vision specifically is a prophetic vision. And if you embrace this prophetic vision, you are going to... Uh, not lose restraint. Which makes sense. If you know exactly... Um, okay, let me do it this way. If I ask anybody in this room, tell me how to get back to your house. You know, depending on who you are and how you are with compasses and road names and all that, but... 99% of you are like, well, you go down there, take a left, go down there, take a right. You go down the road, and then when you see that one barn, that's where you take a left there at that barn, and then you go, and then there's this bright big oak tree, then you take a right at the oak tree, because you can see it. You know, I can ask you, um, how many, uh, how many windows are in your home? And some of you are like, well, I don't know, I've never thought about it. But you know, you can literally, you could leave here in your heart, and you could go to your home, and you could walk in your front door, and you could say, one, two, three, next room, four, five, next room, upstairs. And you could tell me perfectly the number of windows in your home. Because you would have a vision of where you've been. So what if you need to go somewhere you've never been? God has to show you where you're going. A prophetic vision. If you don't have a prophetic vision, you're going to be like 90% of the world, which is, you're just going to keep moving like bumper cars. And, oh, that's a terrible way. Whoop, that's a terrible way. Whoop, that's a terrible way. Whoop, that's a terrible way. Man, can I just retire? That's the world's way. You wash, rinse, repeat. Just bam, 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 bam. Over and over and over. You'll learn a few tricks. Like if you'd, if you'd brush off the car instead of running smack dab into it, it doesn't hurt so much. And so I get it, but the general idea is we really don't know where we're going, especially if you're in the world, because you don't even know that you were created by God to go somewhere. How many people are just like, hey, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm, I'm this. Oh, really? Why do you do that? Well, I got a job, and then I got a job, then I got a job, and this one pays okay. Oh, were you created by God to do that? I don't know. Is there a God? <laughs> yeah. That is not how we were created to be. God has a vision, a prophetic vision that He has placed on the inside of us. That's why some of you, when you go to work, you're like, can't believe I'm doing this again. Some of you just need to have your attitudes fixed, but <laughs> some of you are like, why am I doing this? 
20 years, 30 years, same thing, accomplishing nothing. I had a guy one time, <laughs> uh, I, don't want, I don't want to set up the story too much, but basically he, he was really irritated that I was engaging with, with something that he was on the opposite side of. And, and he's like, um, he comes up and he's like, well, you don't, I mean, you're just a preacher. You're, you don't really value, you have no value whatsoever in society. He's like, you're just a leech on society. People give you money. You're not really accomplishing anything. And I'm like, oh, what do you do? <laughs> and he made, uh, he made these little plastic things that go in three ring binders. And I'm like, I'm, I've seen 10,000 people healed. Thousands of people uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, saved, baptized. I've seen marriages healed. I've seen all these kind of things. And I have no value whatsoever in society. And you make little plastic clips that go in three ring binders. And you're condemning me for how important I am in the region. And he was for real. He was absolutely for real because he was accomplishing something by making little pieces of plastic. It's like he, there was a tangible thing. At the end of the day, I made 413 plastic things. Therefore, I have value. And, and, I, and I'm not going to argue that, that people like that. I'm not going to... Okay. Your value is not in making 413 plastic clips. Your value is in what God has made you to be and whether you're accomplishing that or not. This is your divine destiny. When people don't have a prophetic vision, this says that it casts off restraint. So casting off restraint means that you have no, you have no borders, you have no uh, guide rails, you, you have nothing that keeps you going the right way, you have no compass. When, when, I, when I teach on, on divine destiny, I tell you that your prophetic destiny is like a compass. If you have a compass, those of you that have ever actually used a physical compass, you can take a compass and if you bring a magnet up to it, you can make anything north. You just keep moving the, you keep moving the magnet around and you can make that, that, you can make due north go any direction. But if you have no magnets around, if you have, if you actually have a real magnet and are a real compass and you're out lost in the in the woods or something like that, and you take this compass, you will be able to find true north in dark, in snow, in rain. You will always find true north. That's your in in your spirit, that is your prophetic prophetic vision. If you have that prophetic vision, no matter where you are in life, you can always say that's north. You could be pointed the, the wrong direction. And the Holy Spirit has an image on the inside of you. Say, you're not created for that direction. You're created for that direction. This is not the way your marriage was meant to be. Go that way. This is not the way your life was meant to be. Go that way. This is not the way that you're supposed to live. Go that way. This is not the way your finances were meant to be. Go that way. This is not the way your health was meant to be. Go that way. You always have that when you have a prophetic vision. So if you don't have a prophetic vision, then any old vision will do. There are people that are willing to hug a tree and die to save a tree. And those same people give a rip if you can go into the womb of a woman and slaughter a child. They have a vision to save a tree. 
and kill the baby. This is our world right now. I'm not saying that people don't have visions. They don't have prophetic visions. They don't have divine visions. And because of it, their compass has a magnet that pulls it any direction. It's pulled by emotions. It's pulled by feelings. It's pulled by society. It's, it's pulled by wokeness. Whatever you got, it's just pulling those people around. You and I need to have a true due north. The prophetic vision that should be inscribed and signed by God and drawn on your heart that you always know exactly the direction that you are meant to go. So vague visions are hard to run with. Let's say you have a vision, but it's just barely. You're not going to run with that. You might walk very slow. If you're in fog, and you know generally you're supposed to be headed that way, did anybody go drive in the squall? Squall. Everybody in the room probably learned a new word this week. Squall. I did. Got a, got a thing on my phone, and I'm like, squall. These, these people. You know, when I was a kid, these things were called whiteouts and blizzards. They gotta, they gotta change the definitions of everything. Well, I got news for you. A squall is not a whiteout or a blizzard. A squall is a squall. I learned that a squall was, I was stopped dead on the highway, like, am I even on the road? I think my truck was like levitating at one point. In, when you don't have the clear vision, if it's vague, if it's misted, if it's white out, if it's whatever, you cannot go fast. You cannot run. You crawl or you stop. And this is why a lot of people are stalled out in life. They might not be headed the wrong way, but they're not necessarily headed the right way. But when you have a clear, defined, you know exactly what you're doing. You're running, you're running with confidence. So since our society does not have this, we do not have this in society any longer. When I was a kid, there used to be some people and some places in society that you could see folks. You could come into contact with folks that generally had the kind of character that you could see in that person and draw it in your own heart. And, and a bunch of you are older than me and some of you are younger than me, so I get it. So the, especially the people that are, that are more mature, much more mature than me, you can probably remember a time in America that there was, a, there was probably a majority of places. You could go to a school, you could find a teacher who had incredible integrity, incredible character. They were good at what they did. They, they kept the attention of their students. They taught them things in a way that they retained that information. They, had, they were people that were married and loved their spouses and had kids and loved their kids and, and were, didn't have any kind of terrible debauchery in their life. There was, there was times that you could go to leaders of, of businesses and corporations and they would be like the most, some of the most outstanding people. There was times in, in even, I know this is going to super shock the young people, but in sports there were people like Jackie Robinson that just, they changed the world. They, they impacted the world with character, with integrity. There were, there were people that, the astronauts that, that 
prayed to God that had that worked hard to be things. There were people in the military that that they actually cared about uh, the values of freedom and liberty, and they were willing to fight for it, and defend it, and and to take uh, the ideals of of democracy around the world so people could also embrace freedom and liberty. And now, pick a place. Pick a place and find someone with character and integrity. Let me say it this way. Find a hero. Find a hero. You can't. We have have lost one of the greatest things that our society could ever have, which is people being heroic and inspiring and giving vision to people around them. Now it's just all about, can we survive? Can I get away with this? Can I, can I live? What, what life can I live and just not die? How much sin can I get away with before like, the explosion of God's wrath, or whatever your doctrinal... But there is so much of this innocuous, um, medicated, drone zombie way of life that when people do heroic things, it is so out of the box. I am still... Amen. Amen. I, it still messes with me when I go to places and, and they invite me in. Just the other day, I was invited to be the keynote speaker at um, this huge thing that had all of, I mean, there were senators and all this kind of other, and I was asked to be the keynote speaker. I was like, there's senators here. Yeah, but we want you to be the keynote speaker. Okay, you know I'm pastor of Beloved Church. Yep. But you did that thing. You did a heroic thing. You're still doing heroic things. And I go into places and I tell them the story, you know, like, hey, you know, we did this and we stood up against and then the Supreme Court and whoop, whoop. And people will give standing ovations. And all the time I'm thinking, all I did was stand up for the church. It wasn't like I was sitting at home praying in tongues for 14 hours trying to like, God, make me a hero. God, make me a hero. God, make me a hero. No, I was just, I just did the right thing. I want you to get this. In today's world, you just do the right thing. You're heroic. You'll get a standing ovation in today's world because it is so abnormal. It is so minority. To actually do the right thing, stand in character, do find two young people that get married as virgins. Amen. Nobody knew that I was going to crisscross that one right there. (laughs) It's not to be done. I've had I've I've met with Christian parents that said, "Well, we told these kids to go get together to see if they were compatible." Christian parents. Not that long ago. Not okay. Integrity, character, doing heroic things is almost like a punchline to a joke now. Oh, you 
you did some you did some good righteous thing well good for you i go to the i when i'm going to these school boards you can you can feel the anger the seething of these superintendents who are like how dare you come in here and tell me that i'm hurting children don't you know what i know i actually had a uh a leader of a school, I won't say what kind or where, I had a leader of a school come in and say, um, I, got a, uh, I got a master's degree, what do you got? It's like, I know what I'm talking about, because I have a master's degree. And I'm like, I'm not even going to say it in this room, but I can assure you I'm more educated than he is. But I, I'm not going to get into that. If you think that you're right because you got a master's degree, Amen. I wonder if there's any master's degree people that are part of these schools that are now transgendering people that are uh, doing terrible things to kids that you know there's there's church leaders who have some of the highest ranking uh, titles that you could possibly imagine have done some of the most wicked debaucherous things that any human being could ever possibly fathom. If you think your level of education automatically makes you righteous. But yet then there's also these other people. These high school dropouts. Who actually have character integrity. And build businesses. And build families. And build communities. And do these incredible heroic things. And society looks at the person with the paper on the wall as if they're someone. And this guy that's over here changing the world one heart at a time as if they are a complete loser. Our society has no heroes. And so now we have to redefine the word heroic to be get a degree. Get, get lots of money. Get a big job with a title. If you got a big title, then you're a hero. I had a big title, and I was one of the most, I was one of the biggest failures that I knew because my heart was not appropriate. If you have a vague vision, you cannot run. And our society is filled with people that have vague identities, and so therefore, there's absolutely no way for us to find someone to emulate the lives, accomplishments, and conquests of those who have gone before us need to be personally convincing or inscribed on our heart so that you and I can accomplish similar feats or even greater. It saddens me that when I say the term, the greatest generation, people in here know exactly what I'm talking about. And what saddens me about that is not their character or what they accomplished in their generation, but the fact that we don't desire to be the next greatest generation. You become like the ones closest to you and your heart. And I would, I would dare to say that few, few of you 
could say that you actually have a hero that is in your life. Or a person who is heroic. I believe heroicism will eventually lead to character or identity of hero. But it starts with heroicism. And heroicism is one character integrous act against a lost and broken culture. And you do that enough times over and over and over, at some point you go from doing heroicism into becoming a hero and heroicism comes naturally out of you. But I want to raise a church. Praise God. I want to raise a room that is filled with heroes. I want to raise a generation when we start this school. I want to raise a generation of kids that grow up, that don't have to go find a hero because they become a hero. You have that. Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to read this in the Passion, verse 32. And what more could I say to convince you? For there is not enough time to tell you of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephna, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Through faith's power, they conquered kingdoms established true justice their faith fastened onto their promises and pulled them into reality it was faith that shut the mouth of lions put out the power of raging fire and caused many to escape certain death by the sword although weak their faith imparted power to make them strong Faith sparked courage within them, and they became mighty warriors in battle, pulling armies from another realm into battle array. Faith-filled women saw their dead children raised in resurrection power. Yes, it was faith that enabled others to endure great atrocities. They were stretched out on the wheel and tortured, and didn't deny their faith in order to be freed, because they longed for a more honorable and glorious resurrection. Would to God, would to God we embrace that today. Others were mocked and experienced the most severe beatings. With whips they were in chains and imprisoned. Some of these faith champions were brutally killed by stoning, being sawn in two, or slaughtered by the sword. These lived in faith as they went about wearing goat skins and sheep skins for clothing. They lost everything they possessed. They endured great afflictions. And they were cruelly mistreated. They wandered the earth living in the desert wilderness, in caves, on barren mountains, and in holes in the earth. Truly, the world was not even worthy of them not realizing who they were. These were the true heroes, commended for their faith. Yet they lived in hope 
without receiving the fullness of what was promised to them. Now listen, beloved. But now, God has invited us to live in something better than what they had. Faithfulness. This is so that they could be brought to finished perfection alongside of us. These heroes that have gone before. Man, I hope you get this vision. These heroes that have gone before. These heroes. Names that you know. Gideon, Samson. These heroes that have gone before are believing that you are going to be greater heroes than they could ever be. God and every saint in heaven believes in you more than you do. What type of person do you admire? I'm leaving these pauses in here on purpose. I know I'm messing with my time, which means I may not get it out. But I on this, I'll do this as long as the Lord wants me to. This isn't some series like I'm going to preach the thing and then we're going to move on to the thing. We're going to make heroes in here. There will be people that turn into heroes because they embrace what's on the inside of them. So what type of person do you admire? Admiration will determine the type of life that one pursues and the character traits you will strive to possess. That's why it breaks my heart to see some of these Hollywood leaders and and music stars and, and sports leaders who are some of the most detestable, grotesque humans on the planet, leading millions with their filth and their brokenness and being worshipped for it. And even people in this room, God bless you. Which means your heart wants to be like that. I want to be like, man, I don't know any of these people. Kim Kardashian, I want to be that pretty or that I don't even know what she she's famous for the name just popped up so if that's if you okay maybe she's I just move on (laughs) stay in the realm that I know (laughs) wherever wherever you have admiration if your heart adores or admires someone then you know you are drawn towards whatever that character trait is in them. And and the part that breaks my heart about that is that how many of these broken people are admired for their brokenness? Which means that there are people literally who sit in churches, Christians, who sit in churches and admire broken people in their brokenness while I'm preaching that brokenness is something that Jesus dealt with at the cross. Yeah, but this is my favorite sports star. Yeah, but his lifestyle is filled with debauchery. Yeah, but he can really throw an inflated pig gut. 
that's important. I had a guy. Amen. Uh, I was I was with a, another minister, and we were talking about some of these principles, and uh, and he has a, a ministry that um, that is a parachurch ministry, which means that he offers it to churches alongside of churches for the people in their congregation to do things. But he he charges X number of dollars a month for these things to be in these people's, and he's had pastors get irritated at him because he charges to put these qualities and these characteristics into the people of their church. Because the people in their church are now giving some money somewhere else. And, and he and I are, are friends, and so we, we, we have similar... And he told me about one of them, and I'm like, oh, I was actually at that guy's church one time where one of his guys walked in with a brand new Green Bay Packer jersey on, and that pastor said, hey, that's a great jersey. I love the Green Bay Packers. He goes, yeah. He said, I know. He's like, I really have been wanting this. This is a $200 jersey. And the pastor's like, wow, that's awesome. I really want one of those. This pastor wants a $200 Green Bay jersey that's just like the guy that walked into his church with a $200 Green Bay jersey and mad at my friend because he's trying to build character in the people of his church and charges X number of dollars a month that don't equal $200 a year. You know, if I moved into a neighboring community, if I went to Freeport and started a church, you know how many pastors would be irritated, mad, upset, slash my tires and call me terrible terrible names? But if I went to Freeport and I started a nightclub and had gals in bikinis serving beer, there isn't a single pastor in that town that even give the rip that I existed. I hope that you we're getting this. In, our, in society today, people like Deb Downs, who has given her life up to medically service people as a nurse, has to work full-time and have a husband that owns a business and do all this stuff just to raise a family, but yet somebody can go out and play golf pretty well and buy mansions on four different, in four different states on three different beaches. Step down serving people's lives, keeping people alive. Guy hits little white ball. And and I know that you all are agreeing with me because we're in church and you're in spiritual mode right now. But think this through about where you place value. What are you admiring? Where are you projecting the adorations of your heart? Do you see that person that's that's really living that that good, authentic, godly Christian life, and you say, man, I want to be like Pastor Bob. I want to lay hands on the sick. I want to minister to people and see them set free and, and see them relieved of all the pain and the misery of this world. Or do we say, man, I wish I could just be like this rich guy that has this yacht. Some people are admiration stingy and live very self-centered arrogant lives to where they see someone that has 
you know, like Kay, I think about this all the time. Kay, in my opinion, and I, I might be tainted in my opinions, but I think Kay is one of the most undervalued people on earth. She literally probably has some of the greatest character traits of anybody that I've ever known. And I've known some really amazing people. And all the time I just watch where people are just like, ah, it's gay. Preacher's wife. Same thing with my mom. Mom has served God, loved God with all of her heart for 70 years. And there are people that will literally try to manipulate her and like... um, mess with her all the time and it makes me want to punch people in the face and she won't let me (laughs) And and I know these two people are obviously super close in my life and so I'm using them as an example but you know exactly what I'm talking about you have people in your life that you know that that person that guy he's just living for God he's doing the right thing living life being authentic, has character, has integrity, and is completely dismissed by society and maybe even by you. But then there's this cool guy that's got a million likes on Facebook, and man, if I could be like him. Not even knowing that that guy is probably in all kinds of, of grossness. And so some people become admiration stingy. Well, I'm not going to be like that. I'm not going to be like that. I'm just going to be me. i got to do me. Really? There's no character trait in Gary Geisman that you could, that you could identify with. Like, that's a great character trait. I wish I could be like that in that part of my life. It doesn't mean be Gary. It means that he's got this great character trait that you should identify and say, you know what, in, my, in this part of my life, I want to be like the way Gary is in this part of his life. But instead of actually doing that, some of us are just like, I'm going to be my own thing, do my own thing, think my own way, nobody's going to have any influence on me. These are the people that say, I don't need to go to church, I don't need to have a church, Jesus is my shepherd. Really? If Jesus was your shepherd, guess where he'd lead your sorry but first thing? To a local body where they could shear your woolly self. See how good I'm doing? Amen. You can tell or learn much about a person by who they admire. Hearken, young people. Hearken. Those of you that, that are going to get into relationships with people, single people that are in relationships. If the person you want to be in relationship with, if they admire the Hobbit, if they love Disney, if they, if they think that video games is the greatest thing that's ever happened to humanity... Amen. I'm trying to like keep this super generic so nobody's like, hey, jerk. What, whatever the person is that you admire, the things that they admire is determining their character. I just love Metallica. So you want to be that way? Yep, I want to do everything Metallica. I want to be dark. I want to, the drug, sex, and rock and roll. Da-da-da-da-da-da. That's the way you want to live? Yep, that's the way you want to live. 
and we're engaged? Not, not anymore. If you have someone in your life on purpose that doesn't adore Jesus, now listen to me, adore. I don't mean like acknowledge, like, yeah, there's a Jesus. He was probably a cool guy. I'm saying adore. If you on purpose have people in your life that you have invited into your life and you are actually sharing your heart with these people and they don't adore Jesus, why? Why? Am I saying that you should have this super secluded, live in a closet only? No. I'm saying people that you're actually gleaning from, that you're actually on purpose trying to be close to, if their admiration is not set on Him, you are going to, by default, admire what they admire. And when they come to you and they tell you, man, I am all about Luke Skywalker and Luke Skywalker this, and check out my Luke Skywalker haircut and look at my, my cool Luke Skywalker shirt, and so they want to be Luke Skywalker, and you are actually trying to be an effective world changer who loves Christ, you're going to be led to a crossroads. And you're not going to like that. Just go ahead and say, hey, go for Luke. I'm going to go for Jesus. You and Luke will have a great life. Me and Jesus are going to have a great eternity. And some people, God bless you, you've invited these people into your life on purpose. You have them there by your own choosing. This happens all the time with young people. Where they're in relationships, you see a Christian young person and a non-Christian young person, and they're together in a relationship. And I'm like, what in the world? Who dropped you on your head when you were a baby? Why would you do that? That person literally is not headed the same direction. And somehow you guys are going to be in the same car? What in the world? And people do it all the time. And it's not, I'm not just picking on the young people, so we'll get off them. Get those kids, preacher. No, it's you too. Because <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to go there. Uh, look at the person that's in your life that you're sharing your heart with and whatever dynamic that looks like. Look at their values. What do they value? What do they prioritize? Well, they don't, they don't really like church and kingdom and all that kind of stuff. So their priority is what? Themselves. What do they dream about? One day I'm going to be super rich and I'm going to own an island and I'm going to... That, 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 that's your life. That, that's what you're shooting for. That's the goal. And what are you doing about it? Well, I work at Walmart saving my money. What is there? <laughs> like killing people back there. <laughs> Bodies hitting the floor. Wham! What is what is the person embraces an identity? Have you even asked? Walk up to someone in your life that you're intimate with and say, "Tell me what your identity is about." You you want to see people like stop breathing and stop blinking? Do that. Identity? What is that? Am I supposed to have that? Can you spell it? (laughs) Character. 
Word like characters and integrity, these are punchlines to jokes. That person has great character. Oh yeah, he's a character, all right. Ha ha ha. No, the actual word character. He actually has character. Which means he's not going to lie when everybody else lies. He's not going to cheat when everybody else cheats because it's convenient. He's not going to steal when everybody else steals because that's just what everybody's doing. Character. Personality. They actually don't, they're not flip-floppy. Like, you know, I, I had friends in high school that their personality was a derivative of whatever their favorite TV show was. Well, I'm like Joey in Friends. And then when they got off the Friends kick, then they were like so-and-so on some other show. And I'm like, can you pick a personality? Can you be a person? And... To, to mimic a person on... Let me just... I'm going to unplug here for a second. If you're mimicking a person that's on a TV or a movie, that's not a real person. <laughs> How can I say this? They're not even that person. They're acting. And so you want to be like a actor who's acting out somebody who he's not. Amen. Uh, I'll I'll unplug from the unplug. Go back to the plug. (laughs) Activities. You can tell a lot about the values and the priorities in another person's life by their activities. Amen. Passions. What are the people in your lives? What are their passions? Do they even have passion? Some people don't. Some people are complete zombie. You don't even know if they're alive or dead, awake or asleep. We are desperately in need of these kind of people. I call these people heroes. Judges chapter 6, in verse 11, it says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, or at the, under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abaziite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. This was not a guy that you and I would call a hero. He was basically like secretly sneaky making a bologna sandwich behind the closet door so the Midianites wouldn't find out because at this point the Israelites are literal slaves of the Midianites. And so he was just trying to hide and, and get by and eke by in life and, and not get caught by all the slave masters and, and get beat and not be forced to take a vaccine and wear a mask. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Here's a guy who's hiding 
not going after the slavery that's stealing away the prophetic destiny of who he and his people are supposed to be. An atypical God shows up in our brokenness and says, I don't call you broken. I don't care what they call you. I don't care how you're living right now. Let me tell you who you are. You're a mighty man of valor. And I know you're thinking like, and he was filled with the Spirit of God and he like floated over the enemies and said, Oh, I'm going to kill you. No, his response is very atypical of our response when God shows up and tells you exactly who you are. O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Okay, if you say I'm that guy, why am I in this situation? Why am I experiencing this life? Why do I have to live this way? If, if we're supposed to be your nation, God's nation, why are we in slavery? Why am I hiding from the Midianites? Where's all the miracles? You know, every single generation, go and look it up in the scriptures, every single generation said this in one way or another. Really, God? If you're moving today, where's it at? You know, we have the, we have the, this great, um, opportunity to look at the scriptures and, and we know what's about to happen in the next chapter. Gideon didn't. Gideon is 50 years after Joshua. And he's like, hey, wh- where's the leaders? Where's these supernatural guys? Where's these people that can part the Jordan River? Where's these people that can take the, the walls of Jericho and shake them to the ground? Where's these men of God, these women of God that can do all these great things? Here we are in slavery, doopty doing. There's no supernatural, there's no leaders, there's no heroes. And you're telling me I'm a mighty man of honor. God, you have failed us. God, you have failed. In this generation, where are your mighty works? Where's your miracles like those other generations? If you gave us what you gave them, then maybe I might be this man of valor that you say that I am. Every generation does this. It's over and over and over in the Scriptures. But now the Lord has forsaken and given us unto the hand of Midian. Can I say this and not get you guys off track? God didn't have nothing to do with the Israelites going into slavery to Midian. What the real problem is, is that there were no heroes that were breeding other heroes in Gideon's time. And God had to come and show up to Gideon himself and breed a hero of his own breath. There's two responses when you see heroic values or when, you, when God is pointing you in a heroic direction or asking you to be a hero. 
especially when you're seeing it in other people. The first normal response is, that person is accomplishing that. That person can be a hero. That person can do heroic things, but not me. Don't you know, I'm just Steve. You know, this is why they crucified Jesus. He, He was the son of Mary. Joseph was his dad. His brothers and his sisters are here. He's just a regular dude running around being all arrogant, saying you're son of man and spirit of God and, and who knows about these miracles. They could be from Beelzebub. We all know him. We watched him grow up. My kid played kickball with, his, with him. He's just Jesus. Human, flesh and blood, natural. Who do you think you are to change the world? Who permitted you to change the world? Who said you can do that? God doesn't do that anymore. God does that with Jesus. We actually have this in Christianity. It's called dispensationalism. Where there was a dispensation back then of God doing mighty, amazing, heroic things through heroes back then. But that was dispensed back then and we're past all that dispensation. God's got nothing left. He ran out of gas. He can't do it for our generation. The two responses are, why is there no heroes anymore today? And when will God send us another hero? That's what Gideon was thinking. Why don't you send a hero? God was fixing to. The second response is, I can do a heroic thing. And I can be a hero. If anybody can be a hero... I can be a hero. If anybody can do a heroic thing, I can do a heroic thing. What what makes Josiah better than me? If Josiah can do heroic things, what makes him better than me? What makes Gideon better than me? What makes David better than me? I can honestly say in scriptures I can prove I'm better than Gideon. I'm better than David. Because I have the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. And so do you. Judges chapter 14. Just a few chapters later, another time in history. Fifty years later. Fifty years after Gideon. Then Samson went down with his father and his mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. (laughs) This is... The devil has a roaring lion. Verse 6. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. The reason that's in there is because he was a Nazarite and he wasn't supposed to touch a carcass. This lion came after him. And instead of doing what most people would do, oh, there's a lion chasing me. He said, what? Wait, 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 wait. Who's this lion think he is? I'm Samson. Now, I know what you're thinking. Samson, super great, big, strong, you know, ESPN, world's strongest man, Samson. No. Samson was a regular dude. Regular dude. His strength came from God. Otherwise, why in the world would Delilah ask him for two whole chapters? Hey, where's your strength come from? Duh, woman, big muscles. 
No, there was no big muscles. They knew that it came from some other source. It was from God. He was a regular looking guy who had the Spirit of God come on him. Praise Jesus. The difference between Gideon, Samson, and you and I is that the Spirit of God doesn't come on us. He's in us. He's in us. Which means He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Hebrews 13, 7. Judges 15. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock at Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? Don't you know we're slaves? We're supposed to be in slavery. We're supposed to be good little slaves and do everything we're told to do by the overlords of society. What then is this that you have done to us? He went and caused a bunch of problems, kind of like your pastor. And then he said to them, as they, did, as, as they did to me, so have I done to them. I gave them. I gave those tyrants what they deserve. Okay, that was way funnier in my head. And they, and they said to him, We have come down to bind you that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. And they said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he had came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that had caught fire, and the bonds melted off of his hands, and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. What do you got? Whatever's laying around. And he slew, and he took it, and he slew a thousand men. Even the world knows the story about Samson killing a thousand people with the jawbone of an ass. But it was a man, like you and I, that had the Spirit of God come on him. So what makes him better than you? A thousand tyrants up against one man with the Spirit of God and half a skull of a donkey. He did a heroic thing. Because he understood who and what was empowering him to do it. Now, Samson was likely alive about 50, 70 years before another person in Scripture. A 17-year-old young man out tending sheep. And I want you to think about this. You know, I I used to be a 10-year-old boy a couple days ago. And when I was a boy, we would put towels around our neck and we would fasten them with safety pins and me and my brother would fly around the house as Superman. And we would jump tall buildings with a single bound and we would chew bullets off of us And we'd save people and we'd fly to places and we'd pick up great big heavy foam things. 
We envisioned the heroes that we could, we could possibly envision. And how terrible is it that we had to pick an animated character out of a comic book? How terrible. Nevertheless, David didn't have a comic book. What did David, what did the 10-year-old David out tending sheep, who did he see himself as? Who was his hero? Who was the vision that painted on the inside of him? Well, I just read you that Samson tore a lion with his bare hands. Samson slew a thousand men because the Spirit of God came on him and and he just took whatever was available to him like a jawbone or maybe five smooth stones. And David told Saul, I don't need your armor because, you know, one time this lion came after me and I grabbed him by the beard and it killed him. And then one time this bear came after me and I grabbed him by the beard and I killed him. Where'd you learn how to do that, David? I meditated on Samson killing a young lion with his bare hands. And I wondered how that looked. And right in the middle of me meditating and having a prophetic vision of somebody with the Spirit of God on him, this stupid lion wanted to eat one of my sheep. And I said, no, no, not today, devil. Not tomorrow neither. We think David just like popped up out of a toaster and said, hey, I'll, I'll be that guy. No, David actually did this. He meditated on his heroes and he became them. At the, I'm going to fast forward because I have to, because I ran out of time. It's your fault. There was, preaches on me. There was this, this other guy that was born at another time that lacked heroes. There was this baby conceived by a virgin who at that time, it had been 400 years since the last hero had ever touched the earth. And the last hero before him was a prophet. And his, his heroic thing was to write down prophetic truths. Woo-wee. And so, this baby grew up and spent 30 years basically doing nothing of any significance. We have zero historical understanding of 30 years of this guy's life, except one time he was at church as a 12-year-old. Hey, parents, if you're a good parent, you're going to take your kids to church. And this man envisioned. He's seen his heavenly father in a unique light. He's seen these heroes of old with this faith, with their desire to change the world. He's seen himself as a person who is going to carry salvation into his generation and beyond. You could imagine that someone would come up to 
little Jesus, what are you going to be when you grow up? Oh boy. I don't even know if I can answer you. It's still growing on the inside of me. I just know that my father says that I'm the lamb that's going to take away the sins of the whole world. I can imagine Jesus, while all the other kids are playing soccer, off to the side thinking, how can I tear down an entire system of broken people from a broken, tyrannical overlord who's legally and lawfully in charge of humanity right now? How can I destroy Satan? And I wonder if God didn't say, Son, you have a sword in your mouth. Son, you're going to take stripes on your back. Son, you're going to literally go to hell. And I'm going to speak life into you while you're in hell. And you're going to rip hell from one end to the other and have Aptak Duomai. And you are going to spank the devil and every one of his demons for 24 hours straight. Yes, Father, be it unto me, according unto your will. And in the middle of this, in John 14, 12, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say unto you, the works that I do, the heroicism that I'm living in, you will also be heroic like that. And, not only will I be the greatest example of heroicism, I will be the greatest hero, the greatest vision of hero that anybody has ever seen. John fourteen twelve, <laughs> The greatest vision of hero that anybody has ever seen. Not only that, but you're going to be better. Because I go unto my Father. And then in John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus does this amazing thing. He says, what's going to be different about you than me is that you are going to live your whole life with the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that I only had for three and a half years. All I had was three and a half years of intimacy with the Holy Spirit. I calmed the storm. I raised the dead. I healed the leper. I healed the blind eyes. And I stared at the most powerful king ever. And I said, you can't do anything to me that my father won't let. And I only had three and a half years of intimacy with the Holy Spirit. You can be baptized in the Holy Spirit at five and live 40 years with Him. So I expect you to do what I did, be the hero that I was, and be greater than me. True heroes breed heroes. And not only do they breed heroes, but true heroes breed heroes that are better than they are. Am I saying that we should be better than Jesus? No. I'm saying Jesus said we should do better on this earth than even he did these are his works not mine what was the great mystery that was to create the prophetic vision for us all who was the hero 
that bred us all? Who is the inspiration for us all? Who is the hero that all of us should admire? 1 Corinthians 11.1 1. You are to imitate me just as I imitate Christ. This is Paul saying, I'm doing a great job of imitating Christ, so imitate me. Oh boy, that'll mess with your doctrine. No, we're just supposed to be like Jesus. No, you should be like Jesus and Christ. And the way you understand Christ is watching Christ live through other people. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. As I am a hero, be a hero like me, only in the Christ part. Colossians 1.27 In the CEV, God did this because He wanted you Gentiles to understand His wonderful and glorious mystery. And the mystery is that Christ lives in you. And He is your hope of sharing God's glory. Now I know you're thinking. That is... A comic book hero that Steve looks like he's trying to heroize. That's because you're carnal. Let me tell you what this S stands for. This S stands for supernatural. This S stands for spirit. This S stands for the one who either does or wants to live in each of you. And just like this comic book hero, you get to walk around your planet completely shrouded, just like a regular old newspaper photographer, and nobody knows standing right next to them is pow. Are you sick? I am feeling a little under the weather. (laughs) This is each of us. There's a hero on the inside of you. And you need to embrace that hero that's on the inside of you. And no longer think that this is, this natural human life is all you're capable of. We're going to breed heroes who make heroes from the inside of their lives in this place. So I pray that you understand this is not any single one of us doing heroic things. This is about all of us understanding that there's a hero on the inside of us who stands for truth, justice, and the kingdom way. Please rise. I'd like to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of His life-changing Word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. 
You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the beloved family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things, that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health, prospering your body. And all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.